this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. How's everybody doing today? Doing good? Well, guys, uh, I started preaching at the beginning of the year out of the book of Acts, and uh, I had initially outlined like four or five different sermons that I had really wanted to get through and really wanted to talk about, and I've made it through about like one and a half of those uh, because we've had some glorious interruptions. Uh, You know, Pastor Adam has preached. We had some guest speakers. Last week, you know, I, I was fully prepared to come and talk to you about faith and signs and wonders and all that stuff, and uh, instead preached on depression and discouragement. Um, and uh, I, I, have to be, I have to be honest, I'm just thankful that the Holy Spirit does speak. The Holy Spirit does direct. I had a number of you guys come up to me uh, last week and throughout the week and just uh, uh, share that, uh, man, last week ministered to you guys, that you needed some encouragement and needed to know that you weren't alone in being discouraged or depressed as the people of God. I know that we sometimes feel like we have to have this, uh, you know, this persona about us that, you know, we never struggle. Um, And so I'm thankful for that. And a lot of you guys checked in on me and I'm genuinely thankful. I've never had that many people ask me, Pastor Nate, are you okay? Pastor Nate, are you having suicidal thoughts? Pastor Nate, are you? I'm I'm serious. Um, And it was nice. Um, to be able to honestly say, no, I'm doing okay. Um, but I want to be, be 100% clear that as the people of God, uh, we need that kind of investment and involvement in people's lives. And I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit does disrupt some of the things that I have planned in order to, in order to minister in that capacity. So with all that being said, I'm excited to jump back into the book of Acts. Is that okay? Jump back into where the Lord had me. And friends, I don't have any kind of inclination or intention of preaching through the entirety of the book of Acts from cover to cover or anything like that. Um, But you never know. Uh, Stranger things have happened. (laughs) And uh, if you remember uh, a number of weeks ago, if you don't remember, that's okay. And you're like, what are you talking about, Pastor Nate? We have a podcast. And uh, you guys can check that out on our website, online. We've got a YouTube channel if you want to, like, watch me kind of awkwardly walk around and talk. Um, But a lot of the teaching uh, that we have uh, tends to lean on something that I taught previously. That's just kind of the style of preacher that I am. And I would encourage you guys, if you're... I understand not everybody can be here every week, but uh, we do have those resources if you ever want to catch up. If you miss something, um, if you want to uh, listen to other things that we have taught, uh, it's all online. So, boom, there's my plug. Listen to it again. I go back and listen to it and cringe sometimes. It's like, did I really say that? (laughs) Oh, okay. Do better, Nate. Um, (laughs) But a number of weeks ago, I preached, uh, I started preaching in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 242 is a particular verse that highlights four key foundations to the church and really what makes the church the church. And we looked at the apostles' teaching, right? They gave themselves, they devoted themselves wholeheartedly to the teaching of the apostles, to the teaching of the word of God. 
If we want to be a church, we have to hold fast to the teaching of the word of God. They gave themselves to fellowship. They had intentionality behind their gathering. It wasn't that they just showed up to a church meeting and listened to somebody preach, but they were actually invested in one another's lives to the point where they were actually selling everything that they had to make sure that people were without need. There was this intense sense of camaraderie there. Uh, we saw communion and the Lord's Supper playing a vital part in the local church, a real key foundation, remembering the death of Jesus. Uh, that's why we celebrate communion every week. We used to do it, and then COVID happened, then we paused for a moment. Um, and that's why we unapologetically take of the Lord's Supper every week, because we want to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. And remember that he is what it's all about. And then uh, they gave themselves continually to prayer. That's why we make a dig, a dig deal, a big deal about prayer here at Open Door Church. And we looked at those four just out of one verse of scripture, but that was something that the early church devoted themselves to that we want to be true to as well. And uh, I, I can honestly say, man, I feel like we are growing in all of those areas. Um, I, don't, I don't feel like I have to come in with the strong arm and the hand of the Lord and the fire and the judgment and say, do better in all of these areas or you're a bad church. I, I'm actually encouraged as the pastor in these areas. But the next verse of scripture, um, beginning in verse 43, leads into some characteristics that resulted in the church of that firm foundation. And so we're looking at the fruit of that firm foundation in uh, verses 43 through 47, it says that fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And I, I shared when I first read this passage that verse 47 is a real kind of pivotal prayer point for me. Friends, I want people to be saved as a result of the ministry of this church. I, I want people to encounter Jesus and come into the family of God more so than I want to make sure that we have people in the seats and we have enough money in the offering so we can pay the bills and do the stuff. We want to see people saved. And we're not interested in just growing the church by programs. We're not interested in growing the church because, you know, we have all the flashy technology and all the right things to say. We want God to be able to entrust this house with these people uh, with his heart to be able to add to it to those who are being saved. right? We understand that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And so we're, I presented my church growth strategy. If you guys remember that, it wasn't like, oh, we need to have 20 points of active ministry and do this and have the right advertising thing on the radio. It was, we need to be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Lord will add to his church. Um, and so I highlighted five characteristics out of that passage of scripture, a passage of scripture that uh, we're going to be going through over the next couple weeks. And so, uh, a few weeks ago, I, I preached on the fear of the Lord, where we read in verse 43, that fear came upon every soul. All the, everything there was good, right? We read like, this is all speaking of the church and what's happening in a very positive light. 
And scripture doesn't speak of fear very positively unless it's talking about the fear of the Lord. And we see here there was reverence that came upon the people because they were filled with reverence and awe of who God was. And we talked about that reverential fear. It wasn't this fear of God smiting them down. It was this fear of holy, it was this holy fear of displeasing God that we saw was a real pinnacle and marker of the early church. We, we go on to read in Acts chapter 9 that the church grew in numbers as they, uh, and that they experienced peace as they walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord. And so we, we, we talked about that a number of weeks ago and talked about how that was pivotal. But in conjunction with that, we see that they walked in signs and wonders. Signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. That's actually what we're going to talk about today, but uh, to give you a little foretaste of where we're going, we're going to talk about supernatural unity, what that looks like. We saw a unification of the church where they had all things in common. That doesn't happen naturally. How do we get there? What does that look like in the church today? We saw radical generosity taking place. That was, uh, that was in result to that close fellowship and compassion that they, they acted in generosity that was very extreme, not mandated, but free will, and it was awesome. And we see all of this resulting in a godly contentment in the simplicity of heart. And so some of these will run together, and they may not all get their own sermon, but uh, we're excited about their teaching uh, coming up. And so uh, today we're going to talk about signs and wonders. Is that okay? Is that, that's a little weird. I think about signs and wonders. I think about healing and deliverance. Uh, and I think about the ministry of Jesus. If you read the Gospels, uh, yes, Jesus was a preacher. And, but almost as equally as he preached and taught the word of God, uh, there was an accompaniment of signs and wonders of healing and deliverance. And I, 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 I've never known of such a controversial topic amongst Christians. <laughs> I have. There's a lot of controversial topics. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Um, but I have honestly been shocked of the number of people that will tell me that God doesn't heal and miracles aren't for today. And they died out with the age of the apostles. And when this book came into being, when it was ratified as canon, that God stopped moving in such a capacity. And I want to uh, just tell you that that's not true. I will outline it from scripture today, but I can tell you from my personal experience, and I know that there are many in this room right now who can testify to the fact that God still works, and God still ministers, and God still moves. And we can't look at the ministry of Jesus, who was consistently healing sick people, consistently casting out demons, and preaching the gospel and the good news of the kingdom, and somehow separate those two things. I believe that if we are going to be a church marked by the Holy Spirit, baptized in his presence, and a church that God wants to add to daily, that signs and wonders should be something not only to be welcomed, not just something that should be tolerated, but something that should be celebrated, embraced, and walked in. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this today because there's all kinds of stigma. There's all kinds of weird stuff. You might be like, oh, Pastor Nate, you're getting weird on me. That's okay. Guys, the gospel is pretty weird. Like Christianity is pretty weird when you think about it. We're talking about the God of all the universe, the one that created heaven and earth, 
uh, sacrificing his own son, dying on a cross at the hand of sinful, mil- and then, of sinful men, then raising from the dead so that we could live forever with him. Um, I want to say, like, that's kind of kooky. Like, if you're just looking at it from human ideas, if you're looking at it from the perception of man, that's why Paul would say that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the very power of God. And uh, I want to say we're in good company when we start talking about the craziness of the miraculous. So when we're talking about miracles, we're talking about the supernatural. When we're talking about signs and wonders this morning, I'm talking about the God that does miracles, that does what man cannot do, that there is no logical explanation for. I'm talking about the supernatural today, something that, uh, that, that we can't kind of uh, philosophically explain away, things that we have no evidence for, the contrary to, where we just simply have to kind of put up our hands and say, that's a miracle, praise God. I know that many of us have stories and we've, we've encountered things that just don't practically and logically make sense. And, uh, you know, we might try to reason it away. We might try to, to find a different solution and find a different answer. But I want to be very clear. I believe in a God that still does miracles. And you might be here this morning where you have a problem where there is no practical solution for. You might have a diagnosis where there is no cure that we know of. You might have a situation or an addiction that you've tried everything and nothing has worked. I want to tell you this morning I believe in a God that can make the impossible possible. You know, I was talking to just a, a friend here earlier that is, that they're trying to find a house. They don't know what's going to happen. If you know in Pagosa Springs right now, if you're trying to find an affordable housing situation, that is impossible. We need miracles there. <laughs> Some of you would have greater faith to see the dead raised this morning than a house for like an appropriate amount. Uh, and the reality of it is uh, we need to see God's hand outstretched uh, to do a lot of impossible things. Um, and I want to talk about it because there is some weird stuff that comes with it that I think we need to address as well. And so when we're talking about miracles, we're talking about, you know, signs and wonders. I want you to know that I'm not asking and praying to the Lord for that to somehow validate our ministry. You know, I don't want God just to do really cool stuff, really crazy things. So we have cool stories so we can somehow pump up our, like, uh, you know, Yelp reviews or something like that and just tell everybody, like, man, Open Door Church is the happening spot. They're the real church in town because, you know, people get healed there and, you know, their dead are being raised and Pastor Nate flies around because he's weird. Um, no, I'm just, I want to be real. I'm not looking at this as some kind of superior version of Christianity. And I think the danger of it is, is when people begin to see these things happen and they, be, they begin to see the miraculous take place, they'll look on it and they'll see it happening in somebody's life. Well, that man must be really close to God or that ministry must really be on point and they must have it perfectly right. And that's like the validation of the Lord. And uh, I think that is dangerous, friends. Um, I say that because Jesus himself, and I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but Jesus himself tells us that we need to watch out for false prophets who would perform signs and wonders. He says this in Matthew 24, 24, uh, and he basically says, I'm telling you now because people are going to be deceived. He says that many false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. 
He's saying that, that those that are like, that, that are important, those that really know Jesus, that even some of them might be deceived because of signs and wonders that false prophets might convey. So I want to be very clear, friends. Uh, signs and wonders do not validate a ministry or a message. And it's very, very important for me um, that you understand that we don't look to them as some kind of sign of validation that we finally arrived and we're God's mighty man and we can walk in this and it's really cool um, just because um, the, essential, the essential thing that I want to say there that signs and wonders do not validate a ministry or a message. And I, I jumped ahead of myself. Um, so I might say that again because it's in my notes. <laughs> can, I be, can I be real? Uh, I think Jesus's ministry was a healing and deliverance ministry. And when you think of healing and deliverance, you know, there's all kinds of things that people think about and connotations that are stirred up mainly in Pentecostal spheres of, you know, demons being cast out and sickness being healed and uh, a lot of weird and crazy stuff. And it doesn't have to be that weird. I'm actually gearing up after we talk uh, through these five points. I'm going to talk about spiritual warfare I feel like the Lord is instructing me to talk about the demonic and demons <laughs> um, and some things that are kind of like a little bit taboo that we don't really like to talk about in church because it can be confusing. Um, and I'm excited to get there. I'm excited to talk about that. But when I say that Jesus's ministry was healing and deliverance ministry, that was something that he operated in. If you read the gospel narratives, I mean, he was constantly performing miracles. But we know that that the scope of Jesus' ministry wasn't just to do miracles, it was to save mankind, right? It was to preach the good news of the kingdom, and those miracles and those signs and those wonders merely testified to the fact that what he was saying was true. And so we have to make sure that uh, signs and wonders have the appropriate place of importance in our understanding of uh, the gospel. So I want to read this here. Um, because Jesus told us that we would operate in signs and wonders. Uh, he promised this to us. He actually says this in uh, Mark chapter 16. In the Great Commission here in verse 14, it says, Later he appeal appeared to the eleven. These are the eleven disciples after Jesus is died and resurrected. Judas is not here in the picture at the time. Um, he's in a field. And uh, so he's, so the 11, as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, so this is in contrast, like, so this isn't a place where the disciples are not believing. They're struggling with doubt. And then he immediately comes in, shows himself and says, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, these are the words of Jesus here. Jesus is saying that these are the things that will happen uh, to those who believe in me. These are the signs that will follow them. 
So where, my, where people believe in me, these things will be happening. This isn't your Pentecostal pastor saying this. This isn't like some charismaniac on TV trying to convince you that you need to have signs and wonders to validate your walk with Jesus. This is Jesus himself very plainly and very simply saying, those who believe in me, there's going to be some crazy stuff happening. It's a wild ride. And I want to, if anything, give you permission to believe for God to do supernatural things in your life um, as a result of his working for his glory. And so uh, my prayer is that we would make space to believe God for the impossible things. Things that don't naturally make sense, things that should not happen. I want there to be room for faith to be stirred within our lives, to believe God, to do uh, more than what we could possibly ask for or imagine. Hmm. So uh, Adam and I were talking last night. We were uh, celebrating his birthday over in Durango and coming home and just talking about the Lord. And I want to say, man, I love those conversations. Those are some of my, uh, we, we drove home uh, from Durango to Pagosa. And I don't know if you guys do this a lot, but you get to like Bayfield and you're like, didn't we pass Bayfield 30 minutes ago? <laughs> Shouldn't we be home by now? <laughs> it just seems like it drags on forever. Last night, we drove home from, De, from Durango, and it felt like 15 minutes had passed. Like, we were pulling in, like, past Kia Grande. Like, how are we already here? Because we were having such rich conversation about the Lord. But uh, we, we made this comment that we had heard uh, at one point in time, and so we don't know who to actually accredit the quote with, but that many of us are Pentecostal in theology and doctrine, but we're actually cessationist in practice, which means that, you know, we, we might say that we believe that God can heal, but we've never actually experienced it or seen it. And I think this is true for the majority of the church, even those that believe in healing, even those that believe in the supernatural, even those that would believe and say, you know what, I, be I believe that God can do miracles. I've just never seen it and I've never walked in it and I've never practiced it. And so it leaves this place where there's a large group of the Christian community that sits back and like, man, I wonder, and they have skepticism in their hearts, like, is this real? And there's charlatans out there, man, that for real, you know, you've got people that are like faking to be like their legs being healed and faking that, you know, like they had cancer. Like there was that one guy that wrote that song, Healer, that faked that he had cancer for like four years. And he was like, Jesus is my healer. Still a good song, but... There, there are people that would like to defame the good work of Jesus Christ, the legitimate ministry of the Holy Spirit, um, and try to detract and deter from it. Um, and so I just thought that that was uh, so interesting. So we, we might believe that God can do miracles, but we don't often expect him to. This is where that faith part plays in. You know, we might believe that God did miracles in the past, but he's not doing them now. We might believe that uh, God moves uh, in some people's ministries and he might, he might heal people over in Africa, but not here in Pagosa Springs. And we might struggle with cynicism, cynicism and we might struggle with skepticism here. Um, and I just want to encourage you that I have faith to believe that God wants to move supernaturally here in this community with healing and deliverance, of seeing sickness healed, of seeing uh, demonic strongholds broken, of seeing, of seeing things 
that have no logical explanation in the physical actually come to fruition. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've walked in it, but I, I so desire for it to be normal in the church because that was what was normal for the church in the book of Acts. It wasn't like this rare occasion that was just kind of like this highlight moment. It was something that was a pretty common occurrence for the early believers. And I want to encourage you that it can be for us as well. Cool. Yeah, uh, signs and wonders alone don't validate a ministry or a message. There are people out there that are silly. And there are people out there that uh, maybe even had been anointed by God and maybe even walk in signs and wonders and perform miracles. They're not to be trusted. If their message does not line up with the message in the words of Jesus, if what they're saying does not point back to Jesus or deviates from this in any shape, way, or form, I think you need to take 1 John 4 into account in testing the spirits and say, uh, no, that's wrong. Because there are people that will operate in miraculous signs, that will perform miracles that do not, uh, that are not of the Lord. We see that here. We see it actually throughout scripture. Um, and we know that signs and wonders don't save. I need you to know this. The greatest miracle is when somebody gives their life to the Lord. The greatest miracle that we could ever see is what Adam talked about, is people coming out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. And no matter how many miracles might be, might be out there, you, and you might have like a level one miracle, like, oh man, like there was like a deaf kid that here, and you got like the 11, level 10 miracle over here, you know, where like a dead person comes to life, uh, like that kind of scale. Um, it's not right. Okay, that's what I was uh, getting at. Um, all of that fails in comparison, like the coolest thing that, that you might see um, to somebody that was separated from God drawing close to him because he made a way. That was impossible. In every fabric, every thought, every, every fabric, every thought of the imagination, um, we see God doing the impossible there. But we serve a God that loves to do the impossible. So we know that signs and wonders don't save um, and that people don't believe solely on the account of a miracle. But what can happen is that miracles can happen. Signs and wonders can take place. And that can open the door for our heart to be receptive to the gospel. I've seen it. I've experienced it with my own eyes. And so I'm going to go very quickly here and just highlight some things out of some verses of Scripture throughout the book of Acts and the New Testament that I, I just want to make some points here. I want to, one, establish the fact that Jesus is the one that does the miracles. But he will use willing people. If you notice in four, uh, 2 verse 43, it says that the signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. It wasn't necessarily that Peter and Paul were like super mighty and they've got magic hands or something like that. It was the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus ministering through a willing vessel that we saw miracles take place. In Acts 4, 29, we see the believers praying after a miraculous moving of the Lord. It says here, now, Lord, look on their threats. They were being threatened and being told that they should not preach the gospel. And so what do they do? They go and pray. And they asked uh, that their servants would be granted with boldness that they may speak your word 
by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders might be done through the name, your, the name of your holy servant, Jesus. If we go into Acts 14, uh, the, the first few verses here uh, are dealing with Paul in Iconium, and uh, they're meeting opposition, and so they decide to stay, and they, dump, they kind of bunker down to minister the gospel there. And it says in verse 3, it says that they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. We see that the Lord is behind all of this. It's not legitimate ministry of miracles. does not happen just because somebody is like, like some kind of uh, super saint or something like this. It happens by way of a willing vessel that the Lord uses and he ministers in that capacity. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't supernaturally move. I'm not saying that he's confined just to only using people. But throughout history and throughout this book, we see him longing to partner with mankind and use his church and use his people to minister in this capacity. Um, but if you notice in those, uh, those last two verses that we read, uh, the word of God was being preached. I think that this is so important to remember and connect with because I've been around the people where signs and wonders become more important than Jesus himself. And signs and wonders supersede the message of the cross. And it becomes more about seeing God do a magic trick than it is about God actually ministering and moving. So we see in uh, my second point here is that signs and wonders testify to the word. They don't supersede or replace, but they supplement and testify um, to it. Does that make sense? Okay. So... I wrote this, the word of God was being preached, right? Acts 4.29, they were ask, actually asking for boldness to preach the word of God. In Acts 14, they were boldly preaching the word of God. And it says that God came alongside to testify to their ministry, equipped them with signs and wonders. And so we go on here. Uh, Romans 1.16 tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel, not signs and wonders, is the power of God unto salvation. If we go on, Paul will tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that Jews demand a sign, right? Greeks seek wisdom, but rather we preach Christ crucified. It's the power of God. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but we go on and we see that the word of the cross is the power of God. But we go on into the next chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I want to read verse 1 to you. It says here, uh, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith shall not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul here is saying that the ministry of the word and the message of the cross is of utmost importance. But even in that, this is where I see a lot of people kind of 
go and we talk about the importance of the message of the cross and the importance of preaching and the importance of the, the word of God, we see uh, Paul here saying that it's not with wise and persuasive words that I came to you, but with signs and wonders, with demonstrations of the Spirit's power is what he's talking about here in ministering the word of God. He was not the most eloquent of speaker, but the Holy Spirit enabled him and empowered him alongside the preaching of the word to see many uh, transformed uh, in Jesus. And so I say this, the word and the gospel message is of utmost priority, but God will often use the miraculous to validate, uh, or not maybe to validate, but uh, as a supportive sign of validation of what people are saying. Does that make sense? And so you might be up here and, uh, you know, I know Stan, you could probably attest to this. You have told people that God has loved them. And they may not have 100% believed that, but you also prayed with them. And then they might have been healed in some kind of capacity. Not only... Not only do they know, not only did they hear that God loved them, but they experienced it firsthand. In the same way, uh, I see the message of the cross uh, in the active ministry of the Holy Spirit as validation for what God, uh, of what we're speaking as well, if that makes sense. Uh, so three, my third point here, is uh, the church prayed for signs and wonders. They prayed for miracles. We already read that. But they not only prayed for them, they operated them in them as well. I believe, friends, that we ought to pray that God would move. We ought to pray for miraculous things. I believe we ought to ask him audaciously for him to do impossible things because he delights in doing impossible things. <laughs> I love, uh, I love uh, being kind of backed up into it. I say this. I don't love it. I love it at, at the, after the fact. But I don't know how many times I've been in a situation that had no possible good outcome and turning to the Lord in prayer and asking for his help and he somehow makes something happen that is just uh, impossible for man to kind of orchestrate. And looking back on it, it's like, well, that was scary in the moment, but God, you love and you delight in doing impossible things. Um, but I was counting through the book of Acts. Uh, there are at least, there are probably more because I'm not great at counting sometimes, uh, 17 times where miracles happen in the book of Acts and the result of those miracles uh, is people coming to salvation and the knowledge of Jesus. Um, at least 17, So, but I'm just going to focus on a few here in Acts chapter 9. Is that okay? Because I promised I wanted to do something after I got done preaching. And so Acts 9, uh, beginning in verse 32, I'm going to read this chunk of scripture. It says, Now it came to pass as Peter went through all the parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydia. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Aeneas, uh, arise and make your bed. Um, and then he arose immediately, but it doesn't say he made his bed. Maybe he's a kid. Uh, he's not a kid. He's a man. Um, sorry. That's a dumb joke. Never mind. Then he rose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. It says that everybody in these two cities uh, 
wound up turning to the Lord as the result of this one man who was touched by God. This is an example of miracles taking place where people cannot deny that Jesus is moving. So we see this happen there. If you continue on in verse 36, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, uh, who is, which is translated Dorcas. Uh, I would rather go by Tabitha than Dorcas as well. Uh, this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did, but it happened in those days that she became sick and she died. When they had washed her, they laid her in her, in her, laid her in an upper room. And since Lydia was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, uh, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows, uh, and all the widows. Man, my eyes are not focusing. Stood by with him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. So really cool story, right? We see God, uh, God moving in a mighty way of one, this one paralyzed guy gets healed. And it says, all who dwelt in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Then we jump the page here and we see Peter actually ministering this dead woman coming back to life. And many uh, throughout the region uh, believe in the Lord. It doesn't say all though. It's like, man, what more do you need? This dead person came to life, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh I, I just love this because we saw this same thing happen a few uh, months ago when I was in Africa. Um, I, I mentioned that I, we experienced the healing and ministry work of the Lord, and I've seen it firsthand. Not just in Africa, I've seen it here in the U.S. But uh, we prayed for people. We'd go to these little mud villages. Uh, that we, we called them bomas, and we were sharing the gospel with them. And we also... Every time that we shared the gospel with them, we asked if there was any need that they had that we could pray with them for. And there were many that were sick. There were many that were ill. Um, and I remember we prayed for this one lady who was blind. I mean, she was very clearly blind. She could not walk. We prayed for her, and she didn't get healed right away. Uh, but three days later, the church that we were ministering at was full with all of her friends and relatives, and she was there because she said, after you left, I went to sleep that night, and I woke up the next morning, and I could see. It was like miraculous, and she was there and so excited and wanted to tell us all about it. There was another man that we prayed for who literally had ridden into these acacia thorns. Mikey shared uh, some of this story um, not too long ago where you could not see this man's eyes. I mean, they were, they were severely damaged, and we prayed for him, and he could see. <laughs> we didn't believe that he could see. We didn't, we didn't have great faith that he was actually healed because his eyes were still jacked up. But he's like, I can see. And we're like, you can see? Really? His, his feet were all banged up because he would walk and, 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 and hit rocks and stuff with his feet. Um, and he needed somebody to help him wherever he went. And he told his family, I'm going to church tomorrow. And they're like, you're not going to church, Grandpa. This isn't going to happen. You can't walk. You can't see. He's like, no, I can see. 
he walked all the way, I think it was like eight miles to this little acacia tree where we were gathering to have this church service in the middle of the African bush. And by the time that he got there, not only did we believe that he could actually see because he made it all the way there by himself without aid, but his eyes were brand new. And we, that testimony, I mean, this was something I experienced. I saw with my own eyes. We've got pictures of his eyes before and after that were just like mind-blowing of what God did there. And this, this tangible, serious miracle, there's no medical explanation for it other than the fact that God is good. We prayed for him. He got healed. Many people. I, I'm talking, I'm talking uh, we saw 1,400 people come to the Lord in six weeks there. This wasn't like us giving like a Billy Graham crusade, like uh, filling up stadiums. This was going home to home to the place where we couldn't go to any new villages where they hadn't already heard about what God was doing. And it was, we felt like, man, you have reached this region with the gospel. It was awesome. It was cool. But I don't want that just to be a story for what takes place in Africa. I believe God wants to still minister and move like that here as well. I believe, that he, I believe that we're going to see drug addicts supernaturally delivered Amen. in Jesus' name. I, 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 know that there, I know that people have all kinds of ideas, but I, I believe that the Holy Spirit can minister and move in that capacity. And I believe people are going to come. They're going to hear about what God's doing because they want to experience it firsthand for themselves. I believe in healing. I believe God wants to heal. And I'm not here saying that God heals 100% of people every 100% of the time in our time frame. I believe that God heals, and I believe I'm commissioned to have faith to believe that God's going to heal. But man, I, I get that. I'm not, I'm not going to be the guy up here that just says that it's the Lord's will that everybody's healed right now because you can't say that. that doesn't, I've not seen that happen 100% of the time. There are people that do get sick and die that are faithful to the Lord where we prayed the prayer of faith. But I, I can't let those moments and times where God didn't heal define my reasoning to pray for healing for other people and believe that God still wants to and can heal elsewhere. Does that make sense? We could talk about that for a long time, but I, I, I said I wanted to get through some stuff. And so we read this, and you might be inclined to say, well, um, maybe God doesn't move that way anymore. Or maybe you're thinking, well, God doesn't want to move that way through the average Christian. You might say, well, this was Peter and Paul. These were the apostles. In fact, the scriptures you used, Pastor Nate, said that God moved through the apostles to perform these signs and wonders. So why are we talking about this? What does this have to do with me? Uh, I want to just quickly give you um, four quick points on why I believe this ministry is not just specific to the apostles, uh, that we read about here. Your name doesn't have to be Peter or Paul um, in order to walk in this kind of ministry. Um, and I'm going to go through this fairly quickly. Uh, the first one is in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 70 of his followers. These are not apostles. They don't get that official title in scripture. These uh, are in, con in conjunction with the 12 disciples but he sends out 70 to go heal the sick. And they come back in verse 17 saying that the, the, even the demons were subject to them in Jesus' name. Right? They're, they're ministering, they're operating. Jesus sends out these 70 followers uh, to operate in this ministry of healing the sick. If we go on in the book of Acts, 
in Acts 6, 8, we, we see uh, Stephen being defined um, as one that did great signs and wonders amongst the people. Now, uh, Acts, uh, Acts 6, 5, a few verses before that, we'll see him defined as a deacon, not as an apostle. I mean, he was, he was kind of led up just to be an elder of the church to help them with logistical things. And he becomes the first martyr, and it's pretty crazy. But we also similarly encounter Philip, who was an evangelist, but he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples. We encounter him in Acts chapter 8. And it says that he performed many signs and wonders, that the multitudes gave heed to what was said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs which he did. Again, the signs were in conjunction with the ministry of the word of God. The third, the kind of the third uh, kind of uh, point that I would make here was that Paul writes to the churches in the book of Galatians. Uh, in Galatians 3, uh, he says this, Does he who is supplying the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so this was Paul talking with the Galatians here, um, saying that, um, that the works of miracles were being done. <laughs> they were happening there um, in the church in Galatia. And then uh, the, the last one that I really want to talk about here might deal with some of you that might say, well, maybe God doesn't heal today. Maybe the ministry doesn't happen today like it did here in this book. And this would particularly be with the idea of cessationism, where the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit ended with uh, this book coming into being, with the, the canon of scriptures, the official kind of perspective there. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 outlines uh, different spiritual gifts. But amongst those spiritual gifts, we see uh, the gifts of healing and miracles being listed as gifts of the Holy Spirit with the instruction to operate on them in love that Paul goes on to in chapter 13. He tells us that these gifts will not cease until Jesus comes. In verse 8, it says, Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. And the, the common argument from sensationist viewpoints is that that which is perfect has come is the word of God. The fulfillment of the Bible, the kind of the canonization of scripture is what is perfect has come. And then the old, talking about spiritual gifts, would be done away with. If that's the case, then we talk about faith is being done away with because that was what Paul talked about with spiritual gifts there. This doesn't make any logical sense if we're talking about what is perfect has come being the bible when you go on to read verse 11 and 12 it says when i was a child i spoke as a child i understood as a child i thought as a child but when i became a man i put away childish things for now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face now i know in part but i shall know just as i am also known and you'd be like paul what are you talking about i want i just want to key in here where he talks about, but then face to face. When is then? Then is when the perfect has come. You don't see the Bible face to face. You see Jesus face to face. I believe this is speaking at the advent of the second coming of Jesus. Very clearly that we will see these 
the operations of the gifts of the Spirit uh, cease to operate because there's not a need for it at the second coming of Jesus, if that makes sense. There's a lot to that. We could really dive deep into that. That's not the kind of the purpose of this message this morning. But I need you to understand that I believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and specifically what we're talking about today, of healing, of deliverance, of signs, and of wonders, of what we're talking about, of miracles, friends, is something that we shouldn't just tolerate. It's something that we should expect. It's something that we should ask the Holy Spirit for. And I want Open Door Church to be a place that is conducive to an atmosphere of faith where the miraculous has permission to happen. And so with that being said, uh, my plan for this morning to kind of conclude this was, let's do what the early church did. Let's pray that God might stretch out his hands, that signs and wonders might be performed through his servant, that Jesus might be made known. And I'm not here to, I'm not here to, you know, try to like give you like the Christian power up or something like that. But I want there to be faith in this house that when we pray for somebody that's sick, that we believe that they're healed, that they can be healed. I want us to, when we pray for somebody that is struggling, that we can believe that God can move in their lives. And I don't know about you, but you might need a miracle this morning. You might need a, a supernatural touch from heaven. I, you, you might have come into this place with a weight that I don't know about. I'm not here to try to get you to confess that. You might have sickness. You might have disease. Heck, my family right now is at home sick. <laughs> Our poor kids all have ear infections um, and all that fun stuff. You know, I'm like, wow, I should preach on healing today when my family's sick. Woo. Talk about the devil. He's just dirty. Um, but we want to believe uh, God to move. And I want to pray with you guys um, for miracles and an increase in miracles because I believe it's an important characteristic of a spirit-baptized church. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.